Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. Now, let's hear from Mike. A common objection to Christianity has to do with the miraculous element that's in the Bible. A very popular objection goes something like this. I don't know how many times I've heard it. You mean to tell me that there was a man once swallowed by a whale. He lived inside of that whale for three days and nights and came out alive and was able to tell about it. Are you telling me that actually happened? If you'll pardon the pun, for some people that's hard to swallow. (laughs) And that is only the beginning. Uh, What about, you know, the Old Testament story that the Red Sea just parted and a couple of million people walked through dry shot. Or how about the fact of the universal flood? You mean to tell me you're, the, you believe that the whole flood, the whole earth was flooded with water? And then, then there's, I mean, some people even go so far as to doubt the creation. You mean God created? And then there's the miracles in the New Testament, like Jesus walking on water. You really think somebody could walk on water? That's uh, not easy to believe. Or take the feeding of the 5,000. You mean he took five loaves and changed it into fi- and fed 5,000 people. And then, of course, the ultimate miracle in the New Testament is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you mean to tell me that's true? Now, these are some of the objections I've heard hurled at Christianity. Have you ever heard any of these? Mm -hmm. Anybody ever thrown these at you? Well, it really deals with the bigger issue. Uh, We could deal with each individual miracle, but the real issue is the all-encompassing idea is the miraculous possible. Are these things mentioned in the Bible, uh, supernatural, or, as some have suggested, are there natural explanations for these miraculous elements in the Scripture? Some say maybe they're myth or legend. Uh, For example, uh, Jesus walking on water. There are actually theologians who've said he was stepping on stones. So there's a natural explanation for that. Or take that miracle of uh, multiplying the five loaves and feeding 5,000. A Christian has come up with, well, what really happened is there was this boy there who had two fish and five loaves, and he inspired him to share it. And when that happened, it caught on, and they all started sharing. Or how about the story of a flood? Well, that gets explained away by saying the flood was local and not over the whole earth. Now, the question I say comes down to the very issue of are 
miracles possible? Are these uh, natural explanations or are there supernatural explanations? Some do not expect miracles at all. To them, belief in the miracle is ignorance. One author has said, and I quote, how many times do we name miraculous as, it's a, as if it's against nature? Each man in every nation does it according to his ignorance. End of quote. Others say there are miracles everywhere. No less than um, Walter Whitman said, quote, every cubic inch of space is a miracle. End of quote. Now those are the two extremes. On one extreme, if you believe in anything miraculous, it's ignorance. And on the other extreme, everything is a miracle. But the issue is, is there something supernatural? All right, here's what I want to do. The first thing I want to do is just define what we mean by miraculous. That's important. Then I want to defend the idea that there's the miraculous. And thirdly, I want to talk about why there is uh, miracles in the Bible in the first place, which really gets at the heart and core of this issue. So let's start with the definition. This whole subject, it seems to me, gets clouded and confused because of the many ways that the term miracle is used. In a popular sense of the term, a miracle is anything that is unexpected or something that is unusual. For example, it's a miracle. He asked me for a date. We had an accident. It's a miracle. No one was seriously injured. My boss gave me a compliment. I now believe in miracles. <laughs> a miracle happened yesterday. My son cleaned his room without being asked. <laughs> or as Eric Hudgens said, a miracle drug is any drug that will do what the label says it will do. <laughs> Now, what are miracles? What is the definition of miracle? Webster says one definition is an event or effect in the physical world deviating from the known laws of nature and transcending our knowledge of those laws. An extraordinary, abnormal event brought about by superhuman agency. His second definition is a wonder or wonderful thing, a marvel. So Webster is saying, in the popular sense of the term, it means nothing more than a marvel or a wonder. But I thought his first definition was most intriguing because it is something in the physical world that transcends our knowledge of the physical world but listen to this, done by some superhuman agency. So he includes in the definition who does it as well as what is done, which I thought was interesting. What do theologians say? Burkhoff, one theologian said, every miracle is above the established natural order of nature. Another theologian, 
Lewis Berry Chafer said, a miracle is, quote, that in the physical world which surpasses all human or moral power and therefore ascribed to supernatural agencies, and it's called a miracle. It is sufficient power acting outside the range of natural causes and effect. One more, C.S. Lewis, quote, I use the word miracle to mean an interference by, with nature by supernatural power. Unless there exists, in addition to nature, something else, which we may call the supernatural, there can be no miracles. Some people believe that nothing exists except nature. I call these people naturalists. Others think that besides nature, there exists something else. I call them supernaturalists. End of quote. All right. Those are the definitions, uh, both by the dictionary and theologians. But I want to focus on just one aspect of this, and that is, who does it? Both the dictionary and theologians mentioned that it was done by some supernatural agency. That's interesting. It's also important. From a biblical point of view, God does supernatural things. But so does Satan. This gets interesting. Let me just quote several passages of Scripture. For example, in Exodus chapter 7, the text says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, and then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did just as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers and magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enhancements. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Oh, that's interesting. God told them to work a miracle, Moses and Aaron, and they did and some pagans duplicated it. From a biblical point of view, we can only assume that that was demonic or satanic. Or listen to Deuteronomy 29. Now Moses called all the children and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land. The great trials with your eyes you have seen signs and those great wonders. So in that passage, he's attributing it to the Lord. 
Judges chapter 6, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You ever asked that before? Woo, that's as relevant as today's events. And where are all of the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us under the hands of the Midianites. Or Revelation chapter 13. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Do you hear that? The book of Revelation is predicting that there's a coming person we commonly call the Antichrist, and this text says the lawless one is going to work according to Satan, and he's going to do miracles. The text goes on to say uh, in that passage, um, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon and the dragon and the dragon, that's a symbol in the Bible for Satan, gave him power and his throne and great authority. My point is simply this. The Bible recognizes that there are miracles, but those miracles can be accomplished either by God or by Satan. So there is a supernatural agency involved. A miracle, then, is a supernatural act by a supernatural person. It may involve the use of natural law, or it may introduce another law. In other words, what I'm saying is that <clears throat> there is what we would call a miracle, and sometimes the miracle is supernatural and it's dramatic. And other times, uh, God works miracles through natural means. But the point is, God did it. So there's an agency uh, behind the miracle. Let me illustrate what I'm trying to say. I want you to imagine there is an ant. And this little ant ventures out on his own to find food. And he manages to find it to your kitchen table. And he's looking for food when he falls into a cup of water on your kitchen table. And then is when you saw this little ant struggling for his life. He's wiggling and struggling. And you, having pity on that little ant, reach down with your finger, poke it in the water, come up under the ant, and lift it up, and put it down on the table. And it scampers off to go back to his community. And when he gets there, he says, you're not going to believe it. I almost drowned. And supernaturally, I got delivered from the waves of the water. They were overwhelming, but I got delivered by a miracle. Now, I'm simply trying to illustrate that in that case, there were no natural laws violated. 
there was a supernatural element from the ant's point of view. So the definition of a miracle is that a supernatural force, God or Satan, is doing something. That something may include natural laws, and it may not. The issue is there's another force at work. Matter of fact, um, did you ever have a couple of things come together and you say the Lord was in that? You know? Happens all the time. Nothing, nothing supernatural in the sense that we violated some law, uh, but the theologians called this providence, that just things came together. And so maybe, maybe we should throw into this discussion that sometimes it's the timing of events where you see the hand of God working. It's not just some dramatic awe, some event that violated natural law. It's the fact that God was working through natural means, and the point is God was working. All right. That's the definition. The second thing I want to do is talk about the defense of miracles. Obviously, by this point, I believe in the supernatural. So how do I defend that? Miracles in the Bible are attested by what we would call reliable witnesses. All courts operate on the assumption that a trustworthy testimony can establish what happened. If that is the case, then the occurrence of miracles in the Bible would stand up in court. So, granted, some of the miracles in the Bible were done in secret. That is, there were no witnesses. I concede that up front. Jonah would be an illustration. I don't know that we have any witnesses other than Jonah's testimony. I don't think he was deep in the sea when it happened, and um, I don't know that anybody saw him when the whale got a stomach problem and vomited and put Jonah on the shore. Uh, I don't know that there were any uh, witnesses to that. We believe that there was some, a miracle called the virgin birth, and nobody saw that. We just have the testimony of Mary and an angel. Uh, but other miracles were done in public, and thousands, in some cases, millions of people saw them. For example, the parting of the Red Sea. The estimate is that there were two million Israelites that left Egypt. If that was the case, we had two million witnesses, not to mention Pharaoh's army who followed them and got drowned in the sea. Uh, the Jordan River is the same thing. After they wandered in the wilderness, the second generation crossed dry shod the Jordan and entered the land. Likewise, the miracles of Christ uh, were witnessed by a number of people. But uh, somebody's going to object, yeah, but in all those cases you just mentioned, they were believers, so they were prejudiced, right? Well, you could argue that. The problem with it is, 
that there are people who did not believe who were witnesses in the Bible. The classic example is Thomas. I mean, Jesus told him he was going to be raised from the dead, and Thomas didn't believe it when it happened. He said, I'm not believing till I see the evidence. And Jesus appears and says, stick your finger in the palm of my hand where there was a nail, and Thomas became a believer. But an even more striking case to me is this. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus works a miracle. And the people say, is not this the son of David? Now that's a messianic title. In other words, isn't this the Messiah we've been looking for? Now the Pharisees who were dead set against him. Matter of fact, the beginning of that chapter says they'd already decided to kill him. They hated him. They, they're now on the horns of a dilemma. If they say, wow, he did the miracle, then he's the Messiah, and they're in trouble. If they say he didn't do the miracle, they're in trouble with the people because the people just saw it. This is all recorded in Matthew chapter 12. So what do they do? Listen carefully. What they did is they said, oh, he did the miracle. We can't deny that. There are too many witnesses to it. So people that didn't believe him agreed that he worked a miracle. Then they said, but he did it by the power of Beelzebub, which is another name for the devil. But my point is, they did not deny the miracle. Mm -hmm. They just said he did it by another supernatural power. Interesting. So, there are witnesses to miracles in the Bible. But frankly, witnesses are not the total issue. The issue is whether or not we can verify or find people to testify, uh, not the issue that we can find people to testify to every miracle. The bigger issue is, are miracles possible? That's the issue. It's a, almost a philosophical question. Paul Little, who years ago worked on the university with uh, students, said in one of his books, and I quote, with many questions, it is more important to discern the root problem than become involved in discussing the twig or a branch. This is especially true of the question about miracles. The problem is generally not with a particular miracle, but with the whole principle. To establish the miracle in question would not answer the question. The controversy is with the whole principle of the possibility of miracles. The question really is, does all, an all-powerful God who created the universe exist? Wow. If so, we should have little difficulty with miracles in which he transcends the natural laws of which he is the author. It is important to keep this fundamental question in mind in discussing miracles. End of quote. So, here's the bottom line to defend miracles. 
Is there a God? Period. Matter of fact, I would say this. The defense of all the miracles in the Bible is in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that's the case, everything else is minor by comparison. <laughs> now, in my experience, and as you know, I've been involved in evangelism virtually all my life, ever since I became a Christian at age 18. I've had, I've had people throw this objection about miracles at me, and this has been my standard answer. One of my great, great uh, illustrations happened once when I was preaching in Philadelphia. There was a lady who attended that church where I was speaking for a week, and I was talking about the gospel all week, and she wanted very much her husband to come to Christ, so she brought him to the meeting to hear me preach. Well, my sermon didn't do the job. He was an engineer, and he had questions about the miraculous in the Bible. So after the service, she thought that maybe, maybe I could do it personally. So she brought him to me, and he and I had this one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I just asked him, you know, what is, what's, what's holding you up from becoming a Christian? And he said, I, as an engineer, as a scientist, I cannot accept the virgin birth. Now, I learned very early in my Christian experience that questions are important because I have them. And I treat questions very seriously and soberly and try to answer every question anybody asks me, no matter how uh, insignificant it seems to me. On this occasion, I violated my principle, and I laughed out loud. I never do that, never. I did it on that occasion. And he said, what's so funny? And I sobered up, and I said, do you believe there's a God? And he said, yes. And I said, do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? And he said, yeah, I think there's a creator, yeah. I said, then look. If you believe God created the universe, why would it be hard for him to make a virgin woman pregnant? That's nothing. That didn't do it either. <laughs> so I felt, I, I really felt bad about that. I felt that I had laughed at him and that probably was part of the problem. A few years later, I was preaching in Florida on the Gulf side. Uh, he, in the meantime, had moved to Florida on the uh, east side and had become a Christian. So they found out that I was preaching miles and miles away, drove all the way across that peninsula, and showed up in the meeting and asked if they could take me out afterward to have some coffee. So I gladly did that. And he said, I made this trip to tell you that I have become a Christian. 
And what did it was you asking me that question. I could never answer it. And I could never get away from it. And eventually, I became a Christian because of it. Now, that, that folks, is the issue. Is there a God? And did he create the heavens and the earth? The miracle of creation blows such a hole in the wall of resistance to miracle that no one, that anyone could drive any miracle through it. Now, let me ask you a question. Why are there miracles? Why does the Bible have miracles in it? What's the purpose of miracles? Why are they designed in the first place? Well, in the Bible, it's very simple. The Bible is very clear about this. The miracles in the Bible were given to confirm and verify the messenger or the message. Take a simple illustration. Moses before Pharaoh. Moses is saying, the Lord God is telling you, let my people go. So Pharaoh would say, well, who are you? Well, I'm nobody, but I represent somebody that's spelled with a capital S. And well, how do I know that? Well, I'll give you a little um, crash course, and he works miracles. There were 10 of them. And finally, after 10 of them, Pharaoh got the message. But even Jesus worked miracles to certify his person and his preaching. When questioned by none other than John the Baptist, one who believed in him as to whether or not he was the Messiah, he pointed to his miracles. When John the Baptist questioned, are you it or do we look for somebody else? Then here's what Jesus said to him. Matthew chapter 11. Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. So when challenged to prove that he was the Messiah, Jesus pointed to his miracles. Conclusion, he used miracles to verify and certify who he was. The apostles worked miracles to confirm their message. In Mark chapter 16, we are so Jesus said to them, These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up servants if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Ah, the Bible teaches that God uses miracles to confirm his messenger and his message. So Christ did not perform miracles for miracles' sake. He did not turn a man into a toad or make a river run uphill or overturn a bowl of water from a distance. 
Rather, he came with a message of great, good, glorious news and worked miracles to document his message. He fed the hungry, healed the sick, and raised the dead. Now, you can't discuss the miraculous and talk about its purpose without discussing the possibility of miracles today. Are there miracles today? And I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to tell you what is at the top of the list. It's called conversion. Conversion is a miracle. The Bible describes it as such. As a matter of fact, the Bible describes conversion as a resurrection. Ephesians says, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then we hear the gospel, that Jesus died to pay for our sins. Jesus died and arose from the dead. And when we trust him, Ephesians chapter 2 says, and he made us alive. We were dead, verse 1, he made us alive. And then he says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, there are other miracles. I believe that God is working in the world today. I also believe Satan is working in the world today, but that's another subject. What's he doing? Well, I think he heals people. Uh, I think he sometimes uses natural means to heal people. I think sometimes he just heals them directly. That's rare, in my opinion. I believe in healing. I am highly skeptical of divine healers. Those are two different things. So, uh, God God can do anything he wants to, and I think he works today. Uh, One theologian pointed out, since the word of God has been written in its perfection and preserved, There is no further need for signs. So sign miracles are no longer needed because we have the completed Word of God. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't do miraculous things in the world. I think he does. Uh, But you don't need a miracle in order to accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Now let me tell you just how strongly the Bible says that. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus told a story. It's not a parable, because people are named. People aren't named in parables. They're made up. Parables are made up stories. This is an actual story. And Jesus said, there was a rich man who died and went to hell. And the rich man said to Abraham, who he saw far off, if you would just send somebody uh, to, to tell my brothers, I don't want them to come here. And Jesus teaches in that passage that they wouldn't believe a miracle if somebody was raised from the dead. And he says, They have the scripture, and if they won't believe that, they're not going to believe a miracle. 
So let me explain very simply and very clearly. God has given us his word. He has confirmed it. And now he expects us to believe it. Does he work miracles? Sure. Do you need a miracle to be convinced? No. If you don't believe the word of God, you aren't going to believe if we raise somebody from the dead. All right, how are we doing? You believe in miracles? Oh, you believed in miracles before you came this morning. (laughs) Are you better equipped to handle somebody who doesn't? That's what I'm after. But I want to conclude by making a couple of observations. The point I've made so far is the miracles in the Bible are supernatural acts by a supernatural God to certify his message and his messengers. But now I want to make a couple of observations beyond that. Frankly, I started out questioning or talking about the fact that people questioned all the miracles in the Bible. I understand that. I also understand that there's evidence for those miracles. So I just want to assert that before I quit. For example, let's go to the one I began with, Jonah being swallowed by a whale. In the first place, the Bible does not say that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. It said God prepared a big fish. Never says whale. If God prepared a big fish, then inside that fish, he could have created a little room with air conditioning and wall-to-wall carpet. (laughs) And we're back to Genesis 1-1, right? Right. But let me tell you that there are on record illustrations. As a matter of fact, the one that's outstanding was in the 19th century, a man was swallowed by a fish lived inside for two days and was spit up and lived. He was albino white. The stomach juices had bleached him. But there is a case on record of that actually happening. Well, what about, I mean, let's take one that's really big. How about that thing about the flood? Well, that one's real interesting. Uh, I've always thought it's interesting that scientists believed in an ice age and they questioned the flood. What in the world do you think ice is, my friend? <laughs> but let me tell you this. Um, we've, we've found cultures all over the planet that have a tradition of a flood, a universal flood that wiped out the earth. And that one family built the boat and survived. Now, the the stories differ a little. They're not all eight people. They're sometimes less than that. And they're not all given the name Noah. But it is staggering to the imagination that there are primitive cultures all over the planet that had no way of knowing what the Bible said that have a tradition of a universal flood. So I just want to say in passing that there is evidence for the miracles in the Bible. 
But now let me go one step further and tell you. I've, I've spent my adult life talking to people about the Lord. I want them to go to heaven. And I've had people question a miracle in the Bible, and I've said to them, I don't care whether you believe that miracle or not. I'm serious. I don't care whether or not you believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a big fish or anything else. I don't care whether or not you believe in the universal flood. I mean, I could convert you to believing in the universal flood and you still go to hell. Right? So what is it you have to believe to go to heaven? Two miracles. You believe in these two miracles and you're a candidate. What are the two? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says that the gospel, the good news, is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and arose from the dead. By the way, let me quote that passage. I declare to you the gospel, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he arose the third day, according to the scriptures, and he was seen. Now, the word that appears four times in that passage. Let me repeat it again. I declare to you the gospel that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he arose the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen. Did you get the four? He died, he was buried, he arose, and he was seen. But did you hear carefully that only two of them have the added phrase according to the scripture? He died according to the scripture and was buried. He was seen the third day according to the scripture and was seen. So what that passage is saying is there are only two things about Christ contained in the good news of the gospel. That he died, and that's according to the Old Testament scriptures, Isaiah 53, and that he arose from the dead, that's Psalm 16. Okay? According to the scripture. Well, then why did he mention burial and appearances? Because those two things are the proof. He died. How do we know he was buried? He was raised from the dead. How do we know? He was seen. And then he goes on to list a number of the people he appeared to, including Paul. So the two miracles you have to believe in order to get to heaven is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin and that he arose from the dead. I said that qualifies you, but there's one little catch. What you need to do then is trust that Christ died for your sins and arose from the dead. And here's the rub. A lot of people think, matter of fact, I have talked to people all over the United States, coast to coast, border to border, from Anchorage, Alaska to Miami, Florida, from Hartford, Connecticut to Los Angeles. I've crisscrossed this country for years and years and years when I was traveling and preaching. The number one ob 
a thing I heard when I talked to people about the Lord all over this country and still hear it to this day is they think they're going to heaven because they did something. I had somebody tell me that recently. If you stood before God and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven is the question I asked her. And she said, well, I do the best I can. I'm a good person. Sorry, Charlie. That's not the right answer. Because nothing you do pays for sin. The penalty of sin is death. And the only thing that takes care of that is the death of Jesus Christ. So here's the choice. You can either trust Christ and what he did, or you can trust you and something you did. And the most difficult people to convince that of are religious people who've grown up in religion, doing all kinds of religious things, thinking that somehow is going to help them when they stand before God. Well, let me quote the Bible. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him and gets baptized and joins a church and prays and reads their Bible and lives right, confesses all their sins, and gives money. Oh, you've got to throw that one in. The lady who counts the money said that. <laughs> May make it to heaven. Is that what the Bible says? No, 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 a thousand times no. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not believe and do something, believe. Matter of fact, the gospel of John uses the word believe 100 times. Now, not all of those are referring to eternal life, but most of them are. And it makes it clear. It says it over and over and over and over again. What you must do is trust Jesus Christ. Yes. So I don't care whether you believe in any of the miracles or not. Get saved. Then talk about the miracles. Matter of fact, I heard on tape once years ago of that actually happening. You know the book, The Genesis Flood, by, written by Whitcomb and Morris. Uh, Morris was the scientist. Whitcomb was the theologian. He was lecturing on a college campus, and some kid objected to Jonah being swallowed by a big fish. And they argued, and he got no place. And afterward, um, they got done with that. And Dr. Whitman, uh, Whitcomb said, uh, can I tell you a story? And the guy said, sure. He says, okay. The Bible says you're a sinner that Jesus died for you, that Jesus arose from the dead, and if you trust him, you can have eternal life. Would you like to trust Christ? And the kid said, yeah, and he bowed his head and he trusted Christ. <laughs> and then Dr. Whitcomb said, uh, now let's talk about Jonah. And he said, oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> don't, don't, don't try to defend the miracles. Give them the gospel. It is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation not my cleverness. So, don't be afraid when somebody challenges the Bible. Give them the gospel. Arnold Toynbee said that believing in miracles is a basic necessity of mankind. Arnold Toynbee, quote, the fundamental need of our world today is a rebirth 
of belief in the supernatural. If this rebirth is not forthcoming from more progressive creators of the mechanical culture, it may come from the people like the natives of Africa, to those who have not been victims of proud materialism of great powers. End of quote. If Toynbee could say that the need of society, yea, the fundamental need of society today is the rebirth of belief in the supernatural, God can say the essential need for the new birth is belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, the Bible says there were miracles because the Bible says there's a creator God. C.S. Lewis said, all the essentials of Hinduism would, I think, remain unimpaired if you subtracted the miraculous. And the same is also true of Islam. But you cannot do that with Christianity. It is precisely the story of a great miracle. A naturalistic Christianity leaves out all that is specifically Christian. That is, if you leave out the miracle, you no longer have Christianity. So if you ask me if I believe in miracles, the answer is yes. How are they possible? God created the heavens and the earth. Which two miracles are important, essential for eternal life? That Jesus died and Jesus arose. That's the story of miracles. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give us grace and opportunity in talking to people about your Son. Lord, give us the grace to do it without fear or hesitation, but with boldness. And Father, I pray that as we talk to people about the Lord, you would give us the opportunity to see them come to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.